0: Hello football fans This is an episode of What we won this week And let me tell you, It has been a wild seven days Since I have been with you last This is Hugh And we are going to jump right into Some of the wilder things That have happened in the league This weekend As well as some college football stuff um, Later on in the pod But before I jump Headfirst into all of it. um, I want to go straight into the freshest part of my segment here, and um, I want to explain. You know, and this I don't want to scare off any uh, any Green Bay Packer fans before I get into this rant. Um, I, if you've listened to any of my other pot, if you've listened any uh, any of my other episodes, you know that I stay pretty well down the middle. Um, and in your guys' game yesterday, it was no different. I was staying as down the middle as possible, especially considering it was two divisional opponents, and it's early in the season, and there really aren't huge ramifications right now to where this would affect my Chicago Bears team. That all being said, can we all just sit back? Can we all just agree? No matter if you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, no matter if you're a fan of of the Detroit Lions, the Minnesota Vikings, or any other team in the league because I think it was a pretty unanimous decision on how everyone feels about that game yesterday except for Packers Nation. The refs absolutely stole that game from the Detroit Lions. Now, I'm not somebody who likes to sit on one bad call deciding a football game um, and you know this isn't something that the Lions need to hinder on all year. Anyone really needs to hinder hinder on all year about one, you know, about these bad calls. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anyone to throw the hissy fit that the New Orleans Saints have continued to throw since you know the NFC Championship last year. But that being said, something has to be done about these about these referees. Now there is a video from Highlights Heaven on YouTube that's just showing the, and it does nothing but show the unedited plays, um, you know, the unedited penalties that were called in that game. And let me tell you, now I don't think that the Green Bay Packers would directly have knowledge of of the referees, you know, making these calls for whatever reason. But sometimes, you know, and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist here. You know, so I'm not going to sit here, and I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about this for the for like 10 minutes or anything like that. But there was there was a couple situations in that video where I really saw these referees wait until almost the play was about to fail, or almost when the play did fail uh, for the Packers before they decided to throw that penalty. Now I, I know everyone's going to be like, Duke, you are just going way out of bounds here. You're going absolutely nuts. I suggest you to go look at that video of the first illegal hands-of-the-face call where it was a third down and Rodgers got sacked. That would have forced a punt. And that would have forced a punt with about 10 minutes left to go in the game, which would have been a very crucial part of the game. Look at the referee who actually throws that flag and really look at the time that he throws it. It's almost as if he was waiting He was waiting to see how the play ended up turning out before he tossed that penalty. Because honestly, when you look at the replay, the main area where you would see the illegal hands to the face would have been called earlier. If that's what they honestly thought, if that's what they honestly thought they just saw the flag would have got thrown out earlier. At least a competent referee, I guess, if they really thought that was a call, would have tossed that flag out earlier. And I didn't see that. It was a very, 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 very delayed reaction. Yes, I did just use like six varies, but I really want to drive the point home of how delayed of a reaction that was when that flag was thrown. I'm not going to sit here and make excuse for the Detroit Lions not taking advantage of turnovers, um, not scoring more points, not using Kenny Galladay more, which... It blows me away, but I really think this is a prime example that everyone got to see on Monday Night Football because, you know, I don't care who it is, if there is an NFC North uh, division uh, division rival game, which, uh, honestly, we all hate each other in the NFC North, um, if there's an NFC North game on primetime football, everyone will be watching it. You know, obviously it's primetime football, but NFC North is some of the best football in, you know, in this, in the fucking league right now, you know, there's just no denying that uh, for the best teams, I think maybe not to, all of them are towards the top, but some of the best teams in the league are in the NFC North right now. It's probably the most, it will be the most competitive division in football when it's all said and done, as it is almost every single season. But it gives a lot of people the eyes um, to see it for themselves and see how bad this. Officiating is starting to get in the league. Um, I don't think this is necessarily just a Packers problem. Now, I mean, the the Homer Bear side in me right now is wanting to say that you know referees do call things a little different at Lambeau. And if I ever wanted to elaborate on that, I think there's an argument for that. For that. But I think I think referees do that everywhere. I think there's a lot of referees that kind of play into the crowd too much. They want to put themselves over. They want to hear cheers when they make a call instead of getting booed out of a stadium. And you know what? I'm sorry. That's just not the mental toughness or fortitude that you want in a professional league like the NFL that gets as much money and as many viewers. Those are not the kind of referees that you want. That is one thing I loved about Ed Hockley is he had absolutely zero issue ever calling a penalty. Um to the home crowd. Never, never. I mean, you know what? He might stop himself. He might explain that penalty in full detail because that's just how Ed Hockley was. Um, but we just, it's the NFL is missing refs like that who have the stones to not play up to the crowd, you know, or keep let the game just go, let it go. I'm so sick of fans Begging for penalties. Just let the fucking game go. You know what? I would rather, even if there are a few penalties here and there that don't get called in a game, and it just means that maybe three or four penalties get called the game, and it's some it's stuff like holding or like a, a obvious pass interference. I'm cool with that. I'm really cool with that. Let the players play. Let the games go. Officiate every football game like it's a playoff game. Simple as that. Okay. Now moving on, because I like I said, I didn't want to sit in that all day. Um what a what a bad week this weekend for young quarterbacks. Like I feel like this is just starting to become a trend. Like a trend where quarterbacks are just not running this league anymore. I I sat here on this podcast a couple weeks ago. And I said that I thought a big part of why quarterbacks are struggling is that there's a defensive renaissance going on in this league. And you know what? I this weeks like this only confirm what I think, because there's a lot of good quarterbacks, a lot of high quality quarterbacks, who didn't even finish over, didn't even have a rating over a hundred, who didn't even have that great of a game. Um, you know, we got some five interceptions. Five interception performances on this list. We got a three interception performance on this list. A lot of two interceptions performances on this list, like and sacks galore. You know, I'm not saying that you know this stuff didn't happen in the league. You know, year you know for the past few years, but it feels almost like especially different this year. There's a lot of high quality quarterbacks who are not playing up to snuff. You know, and it's against defenses that a lot of people wouldn't consider, you know, quote unquote great. But looking at defensive, like, rankings and some of the best defenses in the league, there's a lot of good defenses out here. Like, when you say a defense is ranked, like, 20th in the league, like, today, that's not even a shot anymore. Because if you're a top 20 defense, that's pretty damn good. Because that's how good a lot of these defenses are. And I think defensive fantasy points speak to that. Um, There's just so much talent on the defensive side of the ball. And... um, it's just it's just mind-blowing. You know, you look at this, like look at the look at the continued struggles that Baker Mayfield has had. He is he threw three more interceptions this week against a Seattle team that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't consider Seattle's defense anywhere near what they used to be. You know, this is a this is a Seattle defense that got torn up by Teddy Bridgewater not, you know, a couple weeks ago. But they turned the ball over. You know, they took that ball from Baker Mayfield. And I'm not saying Baker Mayfield probably didn't toss a couple of them for him. But that's that still takes a defense to, you know, stand in front and take those, you know, take those balls. And I really think this is a lot to do with the fact that, you know, everyone considered this such a quarterback-driven league. And it will always be a quarterback-driven league. I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't. But I think uh, the more of the growth with the passing game has caused – high school and college coaches to essentially coach up their defensive players to be the opposite of just that. You know, I think people are focusing a lot lot less on, say, stopping the run. You know, I think they're not teaching defensive players as much to you know, just clog holes and kind of sit there and stop anything that comes through, more as they're trying to get those guys to go through those offensive linemen and get to the quarterback. Um, and the same thing can be said with, uh, you know, corners. I don't think there's really a lot of run stuff in corners in the league these days. You know, you don't see the Brandon Brown or the Charles Tillmans, you know, as much in the league these days, as much as you see the, you know, the the Kyle Fullers or the uh, – or it, or the Darius Slays, you know, of the world, that are just, you know, yeah, they're they're physical, they're physical in the passing game, but they're not a corner that needs that would like run up to like, you know, cover the box like a safety or something like that. And the same thing with safeties. Where are the in the box safeties anymore? You know, if you put say a Landon Collins out in Washington, if you put him in the league like ten years ago, he's one of the he's the best. He's like probably top three safety in the league just because of how physical he is in the box and that's just that's not something that the way you know the talent is in the nfl right now that's not something that's necessarily needed as much you know um adrian amos is considering considered an in the box safety and he's not necessarily the greatest tackler in the world same thing with a uh, Haha clinton Dix, you know it's just it's just wild it, and it's 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 a defensive renaissance because for so long the defenses have been on their heels because of all these young quarterbacks and all these quarterbacks and all these uh, offensive systems that have kind of come out of nowhere. You know, with like the Sean McVays and say the Matt Naggies and the uh, you know the Matt Lafleur's of the world. Now you have more defensive minded you know coaches. You have everything in the NFL, and I've been saying this for years. Everything in the NFL goes full circle. A wise man once said, "The talent might change in the league in uh, in football, but the game never changes." And that's so true. That's why you have coaches like uh, Bill Belichick. What has he done in the last twenty years to reinvent the wheel on in his play calling or in his um, in his game preparation? Nothing. The only thing that he's improved is his matchups. In his setups, with how he sets up matchups, and it's it's honestly no different than what he was doing um, when he was defensive coordinator with Giants back in eighty five to nineteen ninety. You know, there's really just no difference in how he approaches it, and be, it's because if anyone buys into the fact that the game never changes, it's Bill Belichick. Yes, he will. He'll effectively change some of the players in his room, and he'll effectively change how they're used because of the offensive. Um, how offensive talent's being used in today's NFL system, but I think even if you flip the league upside down and turn it into a run-heavy team, Belichick would be prepared for it, and any other great coach would be, you know. And I think that is one of the bigger differences between great coaches and trendy coaches. What are the coaches that can stand the test of time, like a Bill Belichick and an Andy Reid, or hell, at this point, even a John Harbaugh, that? Can come into this league during one era, compete, sometimes even win Super Bowls, and then come through the league into another era and continue to do the same without significantly changing the scheme that they run. And it's all matchups. It's all matchups, and it's all how they use the players they put in those matchups. There's a reason why the New England... And I'm not going to try to sit here and talk about the Patriots all day because I know everyone loves the Patriots so much. Um, But the biggest thing about the New England Patriots that's so fucking true has to be their motto, and it's do your job. You know, great... That's Great coaches have those players. They put it into a system. They say, listen, we don't need you to do anything extravagant. We don't need you to go out of your way to make special plays. We just need you to do your job, and the plays will come to you. You know, you're 11 guys in one system. If you, As long as you're one of the 11 wheels, the train will move. And I think that's the biggest difference, because then you have these trendy coaches. Um, and I'm not going to say names here because, you know, I think it's, really early to say anyone's a trendy coach but i think it's more something noticeable after they get fired or something after they uh after they don't don't succeed at a certain level but i think like the younger tier maybe of head coaches i guess would probably be the better way to put it they're really they're really scheme oriented they're really big about setting up the next big scheme they want to uh get the spread they want to find the next west coast offense you know like Bill Walsh found back in the day or they want to find the next spread offense or they want to find the next air raid offense you know say it was like Kingsbury out in Arizona but what they don't realize and it's maybe it's a lack of you know being in the game for a long time it's doesn't matter what scheme you run if you don't effectively have the players to match up against their against the players on the other side if the players on the other side are prepared for your scheme it it gets to a point where sometimes it doesn't even matter who the players are on the other team. It's, it's all about who you have in a certain position. And if that person is doing their job or not, you know, and a lot of the newer schemes, they surround so much about the quarterback succeeding and essentially doing 75% of the system for them. Instead of just allowing a quarterback to maybe cover 50 percent of the system because you know look at arizona with kyler murray could you put a pocket passer in arizona and expect them to succeed in that in that offense i i don't think so you know i think a lot of the air raid is having a quarterback that can move around a little bit to at least buy himself time um you know that and the same could be said about you know shit Okay, you know what, actually, best example of this, best example of this, and then I'll move on so I don't try to just kind of prolong this. Think of Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly needs a precise type of quarterback, and he needs a precise type of running back. He needs precise types of players for his offense to work. In college, that's very easy to do because you can recruit around that. You don't have to recruit all five-star talent to do that because you can recruit players who only work in your system. You know what I mean? They don't maybe adjust the scheme to work around the players that they have. They stick with their scheme, and they try to reinvent shit, and that's eventually why things usually usually fall off the rails because even in Philly... When um, he tried running essentially the same offense with, say, Nick Foles, and that's just that's not going to work. That's why Nick Foles, I think, had a little bit harder of a time when he was in Chip Kelly's system than, say, Michael Vick did. Um, so it it it's it's partially being stuck in your ways while thinking that you're trying to reinvent the wheel because you know. Instead of sticking with what works You're constantly trying to be one step ahead And by trying so hard to be one step ahead You end up about three back Because look at an Andy Reid Andy Reid can plug in any quarterback Into his system And it'll still run damn near the same way I'm not going to say um, It'll be putting up Patrick Mahomes types numbers but, but just think about this for a second Just think Tell me the last quarterback that Andy Reid hasn't made work. You can. You can. And that's what makes Andy Reid such a great coach. Now, I mean, is there something to be said about Andy Reid's Super Bowl record? Uh, yeah, probably. But I think that's a discussion for another day. Andy Reid is still one of the best coaches in the league and it's because he's all he he works matchups, he adjusts he makes slight adjustments to his game, but overall, he sticks with what he knows. He sticks with what works, and he sticks with what he knows will work in any particular situation. He doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. He doesn't try to come by every single week trying to make a new scheme, trying to make a new scheme every single year. He doesn't make himself, like, he doesn't make himself, uh, what's the word I'm thinking about? Predictable, but he. Knows how to use the plays within what he knows in certain situations in a game plan in different orders for defenses to not always, to not know what's coming. And that's why I think defenses have really hard times dealing with Andy Reid coached offenses. And I think that's a big reason why quarterbacks succeed so much in Andy Reid offenses because he can really game plan with any quarterback that he has because he already has all of the rest of the 10 players run the, his system to perfection. Simple as that. All right. Um, so before I totally get by, um, six I think it was week six, right? Yeah. Week six, of the NFL season before I totally get by, um, you know, I just spent all this time talking about these, uh, about, um, about the defensive renaissance and coaching and all that. Um, there were some pretty good games this weekend, and it, w- it was kind of nice having a bye week uh, as a Bears fan, so I could, could really watch any game I wanted. I finally got to put my Sunday ticket to good use, only for it to, um, to be down for the entire uh, first part of the day. So I got to watch local games, I guess. Uh, sometimes I wonder what I'm paying for NFL Sunday ticket for, but that's neither here nor there. Um some really good performances I saw this weekend. Um, and I was just talking about how young quarterbacks struggled this weekend. One who didn't was, uh, Kyler Murray. Um, obviously it was against Atlanta and everyone in their mother can pass against Atlanta this year. Cause this probably is one of the worst passing defenses I've seen in a long time. But, um, 340 yards, three touchdowns and, um, fin- you know, brings out the win for, uh, Arizona. um, no matter you, know, no matter how, uh, no matter how that goes, you know, no matter the circumstances behind it, a win for a young quarterback on a very bad team is always a good thing, and this is going to do significant things for Kyler Murray and his confidence, and even Cliff Kingsbury and his confidence to uh, call an NFL football game. All right, so I didn't get to watch the game, but I followed everything before it, and I followed everything. Uh, after it imagine being a linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles and your name is Zach Brown you know you used to play for the Washington Redskins Um, you had a bit of a rough exit from the team as it was and when you were there your quarterback was this guy by the name of Kirk Cousins well, it just so happens in week six of the NFL season that you're playing Kirk Cousins, your former quarterback uh former comrade former um uh, soldier in action and uh you know you're you're starting linebacker you're uh you're pretty well respected around the league as a pretty quality linebacker you know you're a good athlete you you make plays, you've you're proven. You're a veteran. You know, a lot of people a lot of people like you. And uh in your press conferences before the game, you decide to say that Kirk Cousins is the weakest part of the Minnesota Vikings offense. And you know what? There is uh there's probably a lot of truth to that. And uh Zach got praised by a lot of people in the media. He got praised by a lot of fans because in all honesty, is he wrong? No, probably not. He's probably not wrong. But why call him out? Why call what, what, what are you trying to, what do you gain here? Do you think you're playing head games? Like, do you think you're getting in his head, Zach? Because that's God, I just cannot find many examples where that works. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, you're Zach Brown, you call this guy out. The media loves you. Philly loves you. You know, Washington probably loves you a little bit because, you know, ah, I fucking, you know, screw Kirk Cousins, you know, that guy, you know, he he looks like garbage. He looks really bad this year. He turns the ball over. You know, he uh he just does not look very good. He's getting paid all this guaranteed money, you know. You know, say what you will. And then Kirk Cousins comes in. Tosses four touchdowns on you, finishes with a 138.4 rating, 22 for 29. Did throw an interception, and then you, you don't show up much in this game. Zach Brown did not play. I can't say he didn't play well, but he was just nowhere to be found during this game. And then, when you after you take this shot at Kirk Cousins, you know it's big, big shot, big shot he took. Um, you know, and he was taking all the praise, but you know, during the week he was, he was enjoying himself, you know, for sure before this one get trying to quote unquote, get a Kirk Cousins head after the game, after Kirk Cousins lights your defense up for four touchdowns and 333 yards, you don't answer any questions in the media. Like what? That is such. That is like the weakest fucking move I've, I've seen in a long time. That's so weak. How are you going to talk all that trash? How are you going to say that Kirk Cousins is the weakest part of the Vikings offense? You know, making shots at one of your former teammates, one of the guys he used to go to war with. How in the world are you going to sit there after the game, after talking all that, and just decide to not answer any questions about it? That's weak. Like, in the words of Kobe, and yeah, I'm shaking my head right now, soft. Soft. That's soft as shit. Take some accountability. You know what? Step up to that podium. Be a fucking man. Because you know what? You want to know what Kirk Cousins does? And I'm not even trying to sit here and defend Kirk Cousins, but I thought this was just a petty-ass shot. And the way he handled it after the game was just ridiculous. Kirk Cousins, you want to know what he does after he tosses a three-interception game or if he loses or uh, if his team misses the playoffs or even when he was in Washington when his team loses in the playoffs? He stands up to the podium and he answers all the questions. He takes it like a man. I can't sit here and say that I like Kirk Cousins. I like playing him twice a year. Um, I don't think he deserves the money he got, and I don't think there's a lot of inaccuracies in Zach Brown's statement. But that doesn't mean you need to say it. That doesn't mean to come out and light a fire under somebody who is capable of a three to four touchdown game. You know, that's the thing with Kirk Cousins. We all know he's capable of doing things. It's whether he does it or not, you know. And to not answer questions, that's the biggest thing that bugs me. It's not even the fact that you talk trash. It's that you talk trash, you were wrong, and then you didn't stand up to the fire. You know, when, when, you know, cause it's so easy for defensive players to bash quarterbacks, but they're not the ones that are walking up to the podium and answering if they get wrecked by that quarterback, you know, simple as that, you know, put your fucking pants on, be a man, answer the questions, say maybe, you know, even have a little bit of humility about it. Say, well, he wasn't the weakest part today, you know, or, you know, I've known Kurt for a while and. I guess I should have known he was capable of something like that. You know, No ill will, nothing. Don't just stand in your locker with a cheap little smirk after losing by 18 points and don't answer any questions. Because you want to know what happens? You want to know what happens when you do that? You want to know what happens when you make your defense or make your team have an egg on their face? You know what happens when you rile up quarterbacks and they throw for four touchdowns? Your ass gets released! And that is exactly what the Philadelphia Eagles did. They released Zach Brown. And you know what? I do not feel bad whatsoever, dude. I don't. Kirk Kirk Cousins, he just ended your Eagles career. Think about that. He just ended your Eagles career. Now, you'll probably get signed somewhere else, but don't ever let that slip your mind. The next time you try to take a shot at Kirk Cousins, bro, bro, he's going to end your career. You're to end your whole career. Just think about that. You you think Kirk Cousins is the weakest part of the offense? Yeah, well, Kirk, the that dude, that dude that everyone memes about, yeah, he just got one up on you. So what's that make you? Yeah, you know, just a little something to think about. Have a little bit of humility. I love some trash talk. I think any fan out there does. But go fucking stand at the podium and talk don't play don't play the game don't try to be confrontational with reporters who are just kind of trying to get an obvious story you know and I'm not, I'm not i'm usually not even on the reporter's sides in a lot of these situations but dude you set yourself up for it but all right i don't want to sit here and talk about zach brown all day i don't i don't care about nfl free agent so i'm going to go ahead and move on here um so yeah it was just a crazy week in the nfl um more bad calls as usual, and there just really wasn't any great, like, performances this week from quarterbacks besides, you know, Matt Ryan with 356 yards, four touchdowns. Um, okay, actually, you know what? Closing out. Closing out here um, uh, on the NFL stuff at least. So that Pat, that uh, Kansas City Chiefs and Houston Texans game, that turned out to actually be a really, really entertaining game. Um, I think the obvious story that everyone and their mother has tagged me in and, you know, made a point of saying 30 million times over the course of the game, oh, to think the Bears could have had Deshaun Watson or to think the Bears could have had Patrick Mahomes. So, I'm not a guy who lives in the past. I'm somebody who uh, who accepts the situation that I'm in and uh, tries to make the best out of it. Um... I'm not someone who's going to sit here and cry over spilled milk. But man, Deshaun Watson was the winning quarterback in this game and he threw one touchdown and two interceptions and posted a rating of 77.5. I mean, did he have two he had two rushing touchdowns, so I mean that kind of made up for it. But I am getting so sick of everyone acting like Mitchell Trubisky is like the worst quarterback in the world i get it he was the first quarterback taking that draft but uh newsflash if we're going to continue to live in the past and cry over spilled milk where are all the analysts that were saying that mitchell trubisky is by far the best quarterback in the draft where's everyone that's saying that cleveland should have drafted uh mitch number one you know instead of miles garrett where's everyone that was saying that even the 49ers should have drafted mitch you know, where's everyone saying that, you know, anyone would be, you know, where's everyone that was saying that their teams were going to trade up in the first two picks to draft Mitchell Trubisky? I'm, I'm just getting, I'm getting so sick of it. You know, people, hindsight is fucking 2020. And, you know, I, I just don't see the benefit, you know, and maybe I'm talking to my, mo- my own fan base here more than I am anybody else. Cause most people, they're more worried about their own damn teams, but People need to stop living in the fucking past. They need to accept what they have on their team at the current time. And uh, they need to try to make it work, especially when you draft a quarterback in the first round. And people act like Mitch has been this, like, absolute train wreck. Um, 24 touchdowns last year to 12 interceptions, 67% uh, completed passes, um, about 3,500 yards, and um, also, I believe, three rushing touchdowns add to that touchdown total. Um so, yeah, now I was in 14 games. So, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting sick of it. I'm sorry. It was just a small little rant I wanted to do before we went. Um, you know, I, I thought the Texans and Chiefs game was really entertaining to watch, but it just it ended up just making me salty because it's just all I saw on Facebook and all I saw people sending me messages and tagging me, and everything else was just about the fact that, oh, ho, ho, the Bears could have had one of these two quarterbacks, and now they're stuck with Mitchell Trubisky. You know what? I'm with my boy Mitch. I'm with him. I am. You want know what? You wanna know what Mitch Trubisky did over his bye week? He did not fucking leave Palace Hall. So you know what? I'm sticking with my boy. Mean me all you want, laugh at me all you want. I don't give a shit. All right, moving on. Uh, gonna finish out the last part of the podcast with this, and it is some college football playoff uh, predictions and kind of the current state that we're in um, as it stands right now. Um, So, it was a pretty big week this weekend in college football um, LSU, obviously, with uh, just continuing to beat really good teams um, Alabama beating Texas A&M I don't think that's really anything to be special Because I don't think Texas A&M was really that good um, Clemson, you know, just kind of hanging around Trevor Lawrence kind of having a iffy year so far Um, Oklahoma beating Texas, you know, absolutely breaking my fucking heart. But I think that's, I think a big part of that is Texas not having a good defense and Texas hasn't had a good defense for at least like eight years now. And, you know, people say big 12 defense. All it takes is one of these big 12 teams to start recruiting some fucking defense because these defensive players have to see some of these offenses. If you're a defensive player, do you really not want to go to Oklahoma? Like, is that just somewhere where it's like, oh, no, I, I, that you see that offensive school? I don't want to fuck around there. No, you, you want to go to Oklahoma. You want to get a bunch of other players to want to go to a team like Oklahoma or even Texas. You know, teams in the Big 12, they're absolutely lighting it up on offense. Now, that all being said, the... <laughs> the Red River, the Red River rivalry with uh, Texas and Oklahoma didn't even end up being that much of an offensive game. Hell, the first half it wasn't even high scoring. <laughs> it's it's just it's just wild. It's just wild how an entire conference just cannot recruit defensive talent. Um, and I still don't understand why defensive players wouldn't want to go there. You know, maybe Alabama is just stealing all of their talent. Maybe Big Twelve is kind of aiming too high because uh. You know, I know a team up here in uh, Madison, Wisconsin who uh, doesn't have to recruit insanely, you know, top, you know, 5-star and 4-star recruits to build incredible defenses. So, I don't think it's I don't think it's beginning to be a valid excuse anymore. Any of you Big 12 teams want to step up and get a defense, maybe I'll take you seriously in the College Football Playoff. Until then, you're a one-trick pony and every almost every freaking national champion in like the last five years has had a great defense so i don't i don't totally buy into oklahoma and i'm not going to buy into oklahoma until i see them play legitimate defense which they haven't all year texas was their first real challenge and that game was still tight enough to make you wonder you know just gonna say it um ohio state is also in this conversation um obviously they have a you know they have a matchup with the uh, Northwestern Wildcats this weekend, which I think will actually be a fairly interesting matchup. I don't think I don't think Northwestern would win, um, and I don't I, I honestly don't even know if I would want them to at this point, considering the Badgers are going to be playing them the week after this. But Northwestern did play the Badgers very tough, and the Badgers say what you will about their schedule. Um, they beat the ever-living shit out of Michigan, and they just beat the ever-living shit out of Michigan State. Two very good teams. Within uh, within the scope of the nation, and Michigan State was even a team that played Ohio State very tough, and they just they were in order to be found last Saturday at Camp Randall. You know, it was like it almost felt like, it almost felt like a one sided scrimmage, where it was like all the upperclassmen versus all the redshirt freshmen. <laughs> but that's just that's how like good I think Wisconsin is. Um, and Ohio, you know, Ohio State is still a very talented team, and they are a pipeline. For um, you know, most of the Ohio athletes that they that you get, and there's actually some really good athletes to come out of those high schools, but um, this is going to be a big test for them. Uh, once they play Wisconsin in two weeks, it's also uh, it's also going to be a big test for Wisconsin. You know, while they have beaten Michigan and Michigan State, you know. Strength of schedule is a concern. And I think Ohio's beating a team like Ohio State, I have I don't underst I don't know how you would not include Wisconsin into the top four at that point. Because Clemson slid, Clemson almost lost to North Carolina. Um, I know there's always the hype about Clemson because they've won national championships in the past, and Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning and all that fucking shit. You know how that goes, but I just I I don't see a weakness with Wisconsin. You know, even Jack Cohn, who I thought would be their biggest weakness, is eighth in the nation in uh, quarterback in uh, QBR. Isn't that something? Like that's wild. Like if you didn't tell me that, like if I didn't read that, I don't know if I would have believed it. But Jack Cohn has actually played very well for the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, so I have, I have LSU. Oh, okay, my God, I would have I not talked about LSU? LSU, you know, you say what you want about Alabama and all that. LSU scares the ever living shit out of me, and the. Crimson Tide and LSU game on November 9th, that's going to be the decider of who's going to be the number one seed. Because I don't, I have yet to see a team besides Texas that looks even competent to, like competently close to stopping LSU's offense. And the only reason that almost happened was because the Texas offense was keeping up with them. Can an Alabama offense keep up with LSU? Uh, tough sell for me. Joe Burrow looks like the best quarterback in the nation right now. And I don't say that lightly at all. I think Joe Burrow might be the most talented quarterback in the nation right now. What he's doing at LSU, and I think a lot of people are looking at it as, oh, well, LSU's finally passing the ball. This shouldn't be anything crazy. You know, they're just doing what other teams in college football are doing. But they're not. They're not. This isn't some you know goofy-ass system. This isn't like a air raid or a spread or anything like that. This is a pro-style system, and Joe Burrow is absolutely lighting it up. His wide receivers are some of the best in the nation. Some of those wide receivers are going to be first-round picks. Joe Burrow will probably end up being a first-round pick. I'd be stunned if he wasn't, unless he has some massive fucking downfall. I cannot express enough how Dangerous, I think LSU is, and this is probably the biggest. This is probably the most I've honestly believed, you know, bought in on the hype of an LSU team. Because usually they are one of those teams that gets ranked early on, and then they flutter somewhere in the year. I just don't see it with this LSU team. I don't. um I think their biggest test will be Alabama because Alabama obviously is one of the most one of the best defenses in the nation, and they have to play on the road. But if LSU beats Alabama on the road and it's even halfway convincing, it's going to be LSU and everyone else. That's how I see it. Um, Part of me would love to see the Badgers defense play against the LSU offense, but a part of me is scared of that reality. Because LSU, I think, as it stands right now, is my favorite to win the national championship. Now, obviously, I'm talking about the LSU, the Clemsons, the uh, Alabamas of the world, the Oklahoma's, all that. There are still some teams still kind of hovering around. And if there's some big losses to any of these top teams that I already named, like say if Wisconsin loses to Ohio State or Ohio State lose, you know, or even if Ohio State and Wisconsin split, you know, in the you know by one winning this game and then one winning uh, the Big Ten championship, um, there are teams in there that are gonna be able to vie for it you know um you know like and for example like georgia georgia doesn't have any margin like georgia has no room to fuck up right now they really have zero zero room for error but but they still play florida they still play auburn and um they had they still have the SEC championship it is not completely over for Georgia Georgia honestly has it in their own hand if they can win out they still can sneak in if one of those other teams loses and honestly as big as people look at the SEC there's a very good chance that even if one of those teams didn't lose that Georgia might sneak in just because you know college football LOL um and then Florida you know even though they you know they've They were impressive in losing to a great fucking team last week. Um, And the playoff committee was going to, they're going to look at that, you know, they're going to look at that come November. Um, Losing to LSU at, you know, at the Swamp is nothing to hang your head about whatsoever. Um, Dare I say, Florida is one of the, could be the best, one loss team in the nation. Could be. Very well could be. They are right there. They are right there. I don't see a ton of extravagant talent with Florida, but their, their schedule speaks for itself, and they play a fairly tough schedule. Um They are definitely a team that could sneak in, say, if Georgia even loses another game, Florida is right there. Um If Notre Dame loses another game, they're right there, but... Honestly, I, 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 I don't. I've never bought into Notre Dame. They're there. They're hovering. They're high in the rankings. I just, I, they just, they never, they never cap it off. Dare I say Notre Dame's overrated? Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. You know, Notre Dame is overrated. I don't, I don't have anything left. I need to say. Um. So another team is a Big Ten team. Surprisingly. Uh, Penn State, you know, Penn State isn't a flashy football team um, because they don't win by a lot. They do win. That's the thing. And they beat Iowa in a very good game, very close, tight game. Does that put them over the hump? Does that kind of start giving them national recognition? Probably not as much as you'd want if you're a Penn State fan. But if they were to get maybe an impressive win or two like going and could possibly vie for a spot in that big 10 championship game, which obviously they need some things to go right for him. Then it's not totally impossible for Penn state to sneak in there either, but they just, they don't have the, the sexy wins, I guess I should say. Um, and then you got some kind of teams just kind of hanging around, you know, like the Auburn's Oregon, yeah, maybe Utah, but they had some pretty, all these all these teams had some pretty bad losses and I just don't see them kind of really making the step. And, uh, unfortunately my Texas Longhorns are no longer this conversation because they lost two games and they lost them to very good opponents, unfortunately. But who knows a big 12 championship game could make a difference in all of it could possibly, you know, honestly it would make my fucking year if Texas could at least knock out Oklahoma out of the college football playoffs, you know, with the Big 12 championship, that I would be fucking, I'd be ecstatic. I, I would at least take that as success this year. Um, being a Badger fan and a Longhorns fan, um, I'm fucking just up in the sky about the Badgers, but I just, oh, just another disappointing season from our Texas Longhorns. And what a waste of Sam Ellinger's, uh, Ellinger's talent so far this year. Really, really is a shame. But all right, guys. Uh, I'd say that's about all I've got for this week. Um, there are some good there are some good games coming up uh, with the uh, in college football this coming up week. But I I more wanted to talk about you know who I kind of think is gonna hover around in the playoff picture. Um, I'm not gonna make official predictions yet. I kind of want to see how this next week goes. Um, I might make some really bold prediction before the. Uh, Ohio State uh, Badger game next week, um, but yeah, you know, another pod in the books, guys. Uh, I really appreciate a lot of you guys who have been supporting me, um, a lot of you guys who have been listening to the episodes and have been, you know, sharing with your friends and letting you guys, you know, letting people know that you know I'm here and that I'm recording and I'm making some good stuff. You know, anyone who knows me personally, even before I started recording, they know how big into sports that I am. So. That, that's usually a pretty good sticking card with you know people wanting to share my opinion um you know with their friends you know i I try to be as entertaining as possible I try to uh give you guys something to enjoy and I try to do it in a fairly relevant and sane manner <laughs> um so yeah, until next week uh, I don't really have anything crazy coming up uh outside of uh next week's podcast um Unfortunately, I'm sending my Gardner, that Gardner Minshew jersey to Jake this week because I took that L, which, uh, you know, it happens. But you know what? Unlike Zach Brown, I will stand to the fire, and I will admit it. All right, guys. Till next time, get out there and win this week.